You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Everything that I knew, I didn't know anymore. That defense mode. We're survivors. Like... But they're probably not the questions that you want answered. So, yeah, writing them down for us is important because of our chemo brain. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia, and I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today, we will be speaking with hematologist-oncologist Dr. Robert Chen, who we actually spoke with in another episode about the introduction and signs and symptoms of mantle cell lymphoma. Dr. Chen is an associate director at the Tony Stevenson Lymphoma Center, associate professor and staff physician in the Department of Hematology, and associate director of Phase 1, Phase 2 trials in malignant hematology over at City of Hope in Duarte, California. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Chen. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So, Dr. Chen, what is mantle cell lymphoma? Now, mantle cell lymphoma is a type of B-cell lymphoma. Okay, so when you look at its origins from B-cell lymphocytes. And it's a little bit confusing because sometimes mantle cell lymphoma is associated with indolent and sometimes associated with an aggressive. And that's because within mantle cell lymphoma, there are different types of molecular signatures that can put you into an indolent category versus an aggressive category. So not everybody with mental cell lymphoma behaves the same or have the same prognosis. Let's jump into talking about the treatment for mental cell lymphoma. When we talk about therapy for mental cell lymphoma, we want to look at the main thing we consider, number one is, are you what we consider a younger patient or an older patient, okay? So if you're a younger and fit patient, and if you have an aggressive type of mantle cell lymphoma, we will actually tell you that you should get an intense induction chemotherapy followed by a stem cell transplant because that will buy you the most, that will get you into remission and get you the most, uh, the longest duration of remission possible. But that's only for a young patient who's fit, who can tolerate the intense chemotherapy and then also tolerate stem cell transplant. If you are an, an older patient who's fit, but not as fit as a younger patient, we'll tailor your therapy so you get a, not as, as intensive chemotherapy. Basically, we'll call it a moderate to lower dose chemotherapy. And there's certainly different options available. And we will not offer a stem cell transplant for those patients because, again, due to the age cutoff. Now, there's also a third type, like we talked about, if you have indolent mantle cell lymphoma. So this type is not super common, but it's out there. 
And if you have the indolent form of mental cell lymphoma, you can actually be watched and not start therapy until there's a need for treatment. So all of this we take into consideration before we start you on some kind of treatment program. And when you talk about transplant, are you talking about autologous transplant, which is uh, from your own cells, or allogeneic, which is from a donor? With transplantation, there's two main types. One is autologous, which is using your own stem cell, and the other one is allogenetic, which is using a donor. And that donor could be a sibling who's matched, or could be a stranger who's totally matched, or even a sibling who's not totally matched. Okay, so those are the options. For mental cell lymphoma, for transplantation, we usually do autologous, and we do it generally for someone who's in remission. Okay, because the point of a transplant is not to get you into remission, but is to keep you in remission for as long as possible. And the reason why we do autologous instead of allogeneic is that it is safer. Okay, there's no risk of rejection. You not only reject your own body cells, and the risk of mortality and morbidity is much lower with autologous. Now, however, if you had an autologous stem cell transplant and the lymphoma still came back, or if for whatever reason you are not able to do autologous stem cell transplant, then we would offer you an allogeneic stem cell transplant after that. And the autologous stem cell transplant is not a cure, but it can prolong the remission duration for a long time. However, an allogeneic transplant, when you get cells from a donor, that is the potential curative therapy for mental cell lymphoma. Because you're getting someone's new immune system in you, and that immune system lives in your body. So even the mental cell is trying to come back, you, this new immune system may fight it off. So that's why allogeneic transplant is potentially curative for mental cell lymphoma. Now then people ask, well, if it's potentially curative, why don't we offer it to everybody? Well, that's because allogeneic transplant has a significant risk of morbidity and mortality. So that's why we do not offer that first to people. Now, do you find that most patients are eligible for a transplantation just because a lot of patients are diagnosed at a later age? Exactly. Since mental cell lymphoma is diagnosed in a more advanced disease or advanced age, so typically 60 or higher, not everyone is eligible for autologous or allogeneic transplant. For example, most transplant centers have a cutoff age of 70 as a cutoff. Some people do a little higher, some people do a little lower, okay? So that depends on the center. But if you're 78, most people will not offer you a transplant, okay? If you're 65, then people may offer you a transplant. So it just depends. And if you're 40, then transplant is not a problem. And it's not just your chronological age, it's, it's also, you know, if you don't have any yes. comorbidities or... Exactly. In order to go through a transplantation, first of all, you need to be, there is an age cutoff, but within that age, you still need to pass certain tests. For example, you, you have to have adequate heart function, adequate lung capacity, and be relatively fit to undergo chemotherapy associated with the transplant, and also the recovery period as well. So most all the transplant centers will look at the patient carefully before they say this is a good candidate for transplant. And do most doctors speak about transplant when somebody's first diagnosed or do they tend to wait 
to see how the initial treatment, the initial chemotherapy has worked? Well, again, it depends on the type of mantle you have and also your age. For example, if I have a 78-year-old patient come to see me, I wouldn't bring up the transplant option because it's not a realistic option for that patient. The patient may ask, though, because, again, they go on the internet and look at it, it's oftentimes mentioned. Generally, if transplant is an option for you, I would discuss it, but not in a lot of details because it is really step two of the therapy rather than step one. You need to undergo step one as some kind of chemotherapy or induction therapy to get into remission. And then we can discuss a transplant as a step two to try to prolong your duration of remission. A lot of patients that contact us are very excited or they want to talk about transplant, you know, early on after they find out that they're diagnosed. Do you find that patients or, or even their caregivers that are coming in to talk to you about treatment with them are very focused on um, transplant or maybe the newer treatments? I don't think necessarily the people I'm seeing are, you know, comes in with a great enthusiasm for transplant. I mean, they usually have heard about it. And generally, I'm able to educate them on kind of a, what that is about. And I'm able to say, let's talk about it when you're done with your induction therapy, because it is a big deal to undergo. And so I generally don't want to overwhelm the patients. You know, I don't want them to be scared about a transplant, thinking it's a big deal, and then still having to tolerate your current chemotherapy first. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So, I mean, I do talk about it, but again, I generally kind of just go over the general outline of it. And then once we get closer to that step, then is when I have a separate meeting to say, look, you tolerate your chemotherapy very well. This is what the transplant entails. That's, you know, let's discuss this and see if you're a good candidate for it. Now, the newer therapies that have come out, do we know yet if they've fared better than the transplant option? So it's not necessarily either or, okay? When we say newer therapy, you have to think about it. Really, in the last 10 years, a lot of new drugs have been made available for mental cell lymphoma. So it's not just one, okay? So 10, and I don't have the exact chronological history in my head or the exact year, right? But one drug that received FDA approval for, for treatment of mental cell lymphoma a while ago was called bortezomib who is the proteasome inhibitor. When the drug first came out, it was very exciting because there has been nothing that was, that was working for a patient with relapsed refractory mental lymphoma. And this drug had a response rate of around 30-35% given by itself. Now, you say 30-35% is not that high, but again, when you didn't have any other options, and this is an IV drug you can get in the clinic, you don't want to be hospitalized for, it's fairly exciting. Okay. Sure. And after that drug became available, a second one called nanolidomide, which is an immune or immune modulatory drug that was also made available. And that one's an oral drug, so it's a pill you take. Okay? And that drug also had a pretty decent response rate, around 40%. Okay? So again, it's not 80 or 90%, but around some 40-some percent. And for an oral drug to have that kind of effect, again, it's fairly exciting. Now, I would say one of the major victories in cancer therapy is the development of another drug called ibrutinib, 
which is a BTK inhibitor. We know that this drug works very well in mannosal lymphoma because several trials have come out in patients that had mannosal lymphoma that either couldn't make it a transplant because of age or that had a transplant and disease still came back. And this drug was tested in those patients. Ibrutin is an oral drug, so it's a fairly simple drug to take. And this drug had a high response rate. You're not talking about 60-some percent response rates in patient mental cell lymphoma and fairly prolonged as well. So the average, the median response duration is about 17 to 18 months. Okay. So that was very exciting for patient mental cell lymphoma and kind of changed the game for sure. And of course, these new drugs, initially when they were developed, were in patients that was what we said relapse refractory, meaning failed multiple lines of prior therapies. And now, of course, research is being done. They're given early in earlier lines of therapy. They could be combined with chemo for upfront. They can be given as maintenance therapy, post-chemotherapy. So there are different ways of incorporating the novel agent. So even now, we're changing the landscape of treatment still. So treatment is still evolving, and nothing is really settled at this time, okay? One of the newer drugs, which has not received FDA approval for yet, but it's currently under trial, is a BCL2 inhibitor. Again, it's an oral drug. And so this drug works very well in patients that have kind of, like I said, failed multiple lines of therapy, including ibrutinib. And this drug by itself had, again, a high response rate in those patients, around 70%. So now they're combining this drug with ibrutinib to see if that has better response rate and better duration of response. So that trial is ongoing. And then, you know, if you talk about lymphoma therapy, one of the most hot topic recently is the development of CAR T-cell therapy. And again, this CAR T-cell therapy is now FDA approved for patients with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. However, it's not receiving approval for patients with mental cell lymphoma yet. So there's clinical trials ongoing testing its efficacy in mental cell lymphoma. Now, because of all these drugs are available, yes, do they alter the need for transplant? So that question is also being looked at. You know, historically, a lot of these drugs by themselves, even though it has a good response rate, they did not necessarily let a patient to what we call a true remission. So when we say a patient is in remission, right, that just means that when we do a scan, we don't see lymphoma anymore on the scan, okay? That, but that doesn't mean there's no lymphoma left in the body. So nowadays, there's a new term called molecular remission, where there's a new test we can do based on a patient's blood. We can use a patient's initial tumor tissue and take their blood after treatment to see if, well, can you still detect the same strand of lymphoma in this patient or not. And because we have better therapies, we can actually say that some people are in molecular remission after induction chemotherapy. And for those patients that are truly really, you know, have a very good response in molecular remission, we don't know if those people need to undergo transplant or not. So there is a uh, nationwide US-led study in this area to see in patient mental cell lymphoma, if they're in molecular remission, do they really need a transplant or not? And that study is ongoing at this time. So we don't have an answer for that question, but it will be answered in a couple of years. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's definitely a question that they've been asking in other blood cancers too. Exactly. Very interesting. 
And how do you feel about the CAR-T clinical trials at this point for mantle cell lymphoma? Does it look hopeful? I think the trial does look hopeful. You know, because mantle cell lymphoma is more rare than other type of lymphoma, such as diffular B cell lymphoma. So there's just less patients. So of course, the clinical trial is going to take a little bit longer to finish. Okay. Uh, but I do think that there's a role for CAR T cell therapy in mantle cell lymphoma as well. And what are you most excited about the new treatments? I know that you came into this field because you were seeing all of the new treatments available. And now that there has been all of these different treatments and, and probably more combinations, you know, the synergy between all of these different treatments, what are you most excited about for patients in treatment-wise, of course, you know, for better prognosis? I'm excited that there's all these new drugs available for patients with mental cell lymphoma. And the important part is, you know, generally when a new drug becomes available, you generally buy patients longer time. And what's the most exciting now is almost every in a year or two, something new newer will come out. So really we're seeing that we're extending the patient's life longer and longer because all these new novel drugs are coming out at very fast speed nowadays. So that's what's really exciting is even though I can't tell the patient I can, I can cure your cancer, but I can tell them, look, again, we can buy you a long remission-free period or tumor-free period, and we can likely stretch you until the next new novel therapy comes about. And what's also really interesting, each time something new developed, then we can combine it with other things, adding it to the standard therapy, and again, that's why the treatment paradigm is constantly changing, evolving. And that's exciting because we're not just doing the same thing over and over again. Definitely. And I think Alicia and I have heard from so many patients and also our information specialists that it's not just the time, but it's their quality of life. It's being able to hit a milestone, being able to go to a family event. So that quality of life that they have to really live, I think is important. Exactly. And, you know, the important thing about these novel drugs, again, they're so molecularly targeted at lymphomas in general. You know, of course, everything has side effects, but they're not what you think of traditional side effects like chemotherapy, where you have to be hospitalized for. You can take it at homes. A lot of these oral drugs you can take every day. Some people can still work, they can still do travel. So it really doesn't interfere with the quality of life that much. And that's also very gratifying to see. Sure. Especially for the more fragile population, I think moving towards chemotherapy-free alternatives, I think it will be very, like Lizette said, very beneficial in helping to improve quality of life. Yeah, people ask us all the time, can I go straight you know, my first therapy not be chemotherapy? Can I go straight to something that is, you know, a single agent, something that has less side effects? People now with CAR-T are asking, can I go straight to CAR-T therapy? So people are looking for options that they know may not have the same side effects as traditional chemotherapy. And traditional chemotherapy is still being utilized for, for mantle cell lymphoma, correct? Usually at the beginning? 
Traditional therapy, yes, for now, because the trials are ongoing, we still can't say, you know, for example, if someone was newly diagnosed mental cell lymphoma, we still have to do traditional therapy first until the trials prove that a new drug plus traditional therapy is better than traditional by itself. So all this research takes time. So of course, you know, when you, the patient sees their doctor, they need to explain the difference between traditional therapy and the difference of clinical trial. And I always encourage my patient to participate in clinical trial because that's the only way we can move and develop newer therapy for everybody as a whole. All of our drugs have come from a clinical trial, and that's why lives are being saved and extended. These are things that are definitely helping more and more patients, and it shouldn't be frowned upon, but should be something they actually look into. Doctor, do you find that some patients are not as, I guess, happy to hear about clinical trials? Most people that see me are, they see me because they want to get clinical trial, because we're a tertiary referral center. So a lot of people, they come see me because they already tried their standard therapy and the standard therapy failed. So they're coming to see me specifically looking for a trial. So I don't run into that problem as much. But for example, if you're trying to test a standard therapy versus a novel therapy, and that's when the patient might get a little bit indecisive about that, saying, well, the standard therapy works very well. Why do I want to do this, something new? Right. But again, generally, those trials are conducted in a way that is not new versus old. It's, it's new versus new plus old. Does that make sense? So it's not that we don't give you a standard therapy. We generally add the new stuff to the standard stuff to see if it works better. Or we replace one of them. You know, we, we, in cancer therapy, we don't just erase the old stuff completely. We always have to carefully swap things out. Doctor, is there anything that you think that we didn't address that you believe MCL patients or caregivers might find useful or helpful? So I would say, you know, again, their doctor, the patient's doctor, generally is the best resource. Again, LOS, webpage. And they can do their internet researches, but again, only after they firm up the diagnosis first. Yeah, and again, if they're unsure, they can always get second and third opinions. You know, nowadays, it's not hard to go to an expert and ask for a second, third opinion if they really are unsure of their treatment. Thank you so much, Dr. Chen, for speaking with us today about the treatment of mantle cell lymphoma and sharing such important information. For those listening, we also encourage you to listen to our other episode with Dr. Chen about the diagnosis, signs, and symptoms of mantle cell lymphoma. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.